welcome to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we are recording right now. It is Saturday, April 2nd, and this will begin airing on Sunday, April 3rd. Uh, my name is Emily, and I'm here with my co-host, Jasmine. How's it going, Jasmine? You know, I'm doing good. Uh, it. It's my birthday month. It's yes. also, this is the beginning, we're at the beginning of Ramadan, so Ramadan Mubarak to everyone mm. celebrating. And on the day you're hearing this, it is my grandmother's birthday. Oh my gosh, happy birthday to your grandmother. Happy birthday, grandma. Yes, that's awesome. How old is she? Do you mind sharing? Oh, uh, absolutely not. That's perfectly okay, <laughs> and I, I regret asking the question. <laughs> She's however <laughs> old she's turning today. Uh, yeah, amen to that. Um, awesome. Yeah, I myself and also like I may continue to ask inappropriate questions because I'm a bit hungover and sleep deprived, as I mentioned to you oh, wow. before we started recording. So today's just a free for all. Um, well, you're telling all your business. Eh, whatever. Live your life. <laughs> uh, I regret nothing. I don't know if that's true yet. Um, but yeah, so we have a great show for you. Uh, Jasmine, what's your local story this week? Yes, yeah, so this is a, a very happy story. I'm glad to be um, by sharing this with you all. This was written in The Gothamist by Gwen Hogan. It came out on April Fool's Day on the 1st, but it is no joke. Staten Island workers prevail in vote for first ever Amazon union. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the majority of it, but some of it has been cut for time. Workers at an Amazon warehouse on Staten Island have voted to form the company's first union, marking a historic victory that set off a domino effect that could set off a domino effect within the tech behemoth's New York workforce. National Labor Relations Board employees finished counting close to 5,000 ballots Friday from the agency's office in downtown Brooklyn reporting 2,654 yes votes and 2,131 votes against. Pulling off a win against one of the nation's largest employers and one some organizers themselves didn't think they'd managed to achieve. The vote at the Staten Island warehouse known as JFK 8 is the culmination of two years of organizing that started with a walkout during the height of New York City's first pandemic wave. It's the largest test yet in a recent flurry of organizing at companies like Starbucks and REI that experts have been watching closely to see if the recent activity starts a new wave of unionization after decades of declining union membership. Chris Smalls, who led the effort, uncorked a bottle of champagne outside NLRB offices when the final tally came through. Today, the people have spoken and the people wanted a union, he told supporters. Asked what he would say to Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, Small said, we want to thank Jeff Bezos because while he was up in space, we were signing people up. At Amazon Staten Island Complex, which includes four similar warehouses, this month's vote is just the start. Another 1,500 workers at a warehouse directly across the street from JFK 8 called LDJ 5 will be eligible to vote in a union drive scheduled for April 25th. All told, the company says more than 10,000 employees work at the Staten Island compound and organizers want to unionize them all. 
workers at the sprawling warehouse JF at JFK 8 sort, load, and unload items to be dispatched to Amazon customers across the region. They often work nearly 12-hour shifts with two 30-minute breaks or sometimes a 45-minute break depending on the shift, which workers say is barely enough time to make your way across the warehouse and eat. Workers' movements and productivity is meticulously tracked by the company, and people are targeted with write-ups who can't keep up, workers say. Amazon labor union organizers campaign on a pledge to fight for higher starting wages. They're aiming for $30 an hour from the current starting rate at $18.25. They want job security to prevent the company from constantly firing and rehiring people several months later. They're also pushing for quality of life improvements for workers, like allowing workers to keep their phones on the warehouse floor and pushing the company to provide shuttle buses for workers with long commutes. The Amazon Labor Union is made up of current and and former employees and is not affiliated with any major union, crowdfunded through a GoFundMe. The group of Gen Z and millennial organizers use non-traditional methods like regularly providing food and sometimes even weed to workers. Their active TikTok page, which balloons to more than 40,000 followers, peeled back the curtain on the group's organizing efforts showing workers canvassing at bus stops, passing out food outside the break rooms, and even the time Amazon had organizers arrested by police. It's worker-led. It is the workers themselves in the warehouse organizing themselves, said Justine Medina, a packer at the facility who was on hand for the vote count Friday morning. It's black and brown red. It's multiracial, multinational, multigender, multi-ability effort. She said organizers drew their inspiration from the early labor movements of the 20th century. We look back on that and we said, what worked for them? How were they able to build these unions from the ground up and build the strongest labor movement in American history, she said. And how do we go back to that? Because Amazon is a kind of classic exploitative factory. But experts who spoke with Gothamist leading up to the vote said the organizers faced long odds. They pointed to the high turnover rate at Amazon and the 8,000 employees organizers had to win over, all in the face of relentless efforts by the company to convince workers to reject the union. Amazon plastered vote no banners throughout the warehouse and was pulling employees into training sessions where they were dissuaded from unionizing. It's a similar playbook the company had used to quash union organizing efforts at warehouses across the country, a New York Times investigation found. Organizer Julian Mitchell Israel said he himself wasn't sure they'd be able to pull off a victory given Amazon's endless resources. The Amazon labor union spent an estimated 120000 over the course of its campaign, but sometimes their bank account dropped down to below $10. Still, Mitchell Israel said he saw something shift in the final days of the effort. Our ragtag styles of doing this came together, he said. The 22-year-old started working at Amazon two months ago to help out the union efforts. All of a sudden, workers who'd been on the fence started voicing their support, telling him, I decided to vote yes because I got a call from one of you guys. I decided to vote yes because I went to one of your luncheons. It's just been a magical thing to see, he said. 
Even before the vote was officially tallied, workers expressed pride in their efforts as they sensed they were nearing victory. Risking our jobs, risking our family time, just to see all this coming together makes me feel proud, Karen Ponce, 26, who works in the warehouse, said. I'm very surprised and proud. That's so awesome. I'm so glad you covered that story. I heard a little bit, but I didn't. I hadn't read into all the details yet. Um, and it's awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm so happy for them. And it's been a. The, have you seen or read anything with Chris Smalls, no. the um, mm-hmm. the black guy who had initially led the work the work stoppage? Mm-mm, no, I haven't. So and it's it's funny because it's almost exactly two years since it happened. Like he, you know, was one of the main people at the very beginning to be demanding, you know, we need more protections mm-hmm. and better treatment because it was shortly after the pandemic, like was really jumping off. Mm-hmm. And they were so like it was uncovered like how racist um, Amazon was and trying to like paint him as. Like he's inarticulate. He's not smart. Mm -hmm. Like our strategy is going to be to make it seem like, you know, it's this inarticulate, not Mm -hmm. smart, you know, black guy. Mm -hmm. So let's make him the face of the whole thing in order to try to tear it down. Mm -hmm. So I am so happy two years in that blew up in their face. Hell yeah. You know, I hope that more of them join. That's that's great news. It is. It's so awesome. And I know Like, there's been a huge wave, not huge, I don't know, there's been a wave of unionizing group, like, um, uh, businesses in New York City recently, like, uh, I think Starbucks, didn't we cover that? Um, But then there was that really disappointing attempt to unionize, was it Uber in California, where it didn't pass? Uh that sounds about right. I thought there was also in um, in Bessemer in Alabama, there mm-hmm. was a union vote that failed that, you know, mm-hmm. people were very, like waiting on pins and needles to see how it would mm-hmm. go um, a while ago. But yeah, yeah, there's been some disappointing mm-hmm. results as well. Yeah, but it's um, it's awesome. Is this the f- I, I'm sorry if you mentioned this. Is this the first Amazon location to unionize? Yes. I mean, that's huge. And it's like they're massive like amazon yeah. is so like they're i like how in the article they mentioned that they look back in history like what people did at the turn of the 20th century mm-hmm. because it, amazon is like those political cartoons you used to see yeah. with like the big octopus where like its arms mm-hmm. are in everything you know and you have these mm-hmm. people getting richer than god meanwhile yeah. the people that make it possible like 12 hours and you only get two 30 minute breaks that's ridiculous yeah. And you're not allowed to have your phone on the floor. Like, what is this high school? Like you like in being that invasive in someone's like personal, like person, right? Like, so that's like so controlling. Right. And it's, I'm glad they also mentioned that it was, you know, even though Chris Smalls was made the face of it by Amazon and he was a very important and still is a very important figurehead. Um, they mentioned like mm-hmm. it was, you know, it's it's all the workers together. Like it, it's definitely a group effort. And someone um, that was quoted mentioned it's a multi-ability effort because mm-hmm. I'm sure that's very difficult on your body. It makes it hard. Like if you have any type of medical condition or if you're pregnant or you might not be that young, but you're still working. 
if you're mm-hmm. in some kind of situation where like you're being pushed to do like this punishing work without enough breaks, not enough accommodations, like that's no way to live mm-hmm. in a pandemic, yeah. especially. No, it's it's crazy and it's it's abusive and it's going to be really interesting to um, see what happens when um I mean, what happens in the long run, like whether like what and what it's going to do to Amazon's bottom line and how they're going to and maybe like other locations, what happens if they start unionizing? Um, It's going to be really interesting. And Amazon. Yeah. Richer than God. Like literally, Jeff Bezos. Is he the richest guy in the world? At least in the U.S. Right. He's up there. Yeah. He might as well be. I was going to say no one person needs that much money. And when you hear about like the conditions that lead to that, it's atrocious. Yeah, and it's like it's always so disgusting. Like when you see how rich people have gotten during this mass death and mass disabling event. Like you see this company that its its workers are being churned over and over. Like you know, it's difficult to organize people if people are being treated like they're disposable cogs. Because like people don't stick around long enough, or they're not able to stick around long enough to get to know their coworkers and, you know, develop mm-hmm. a sense of solidarity. So for them to succeed, I'm I'm re- I'm just I'm so happy. You know, there's so much terrible news, um, but I'm really hoping that this continues to be like an upward trend with unionization mm-hmm. and people like waking up to their collective power. Yeah. Hell yeah. And just, um, I think I mentioned before, I used to be a shop steward and my grandmother also used to be a shop steward for her union back that... in the day for the, the night nurses. Oh so. yeah. And the birthday grandma. Birthday grandma. Yeah. Birthday grandma. So, I love that. So yeah, workers of the world unite. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think it's time for our first musical break. Uh, Jasmine, do you have a song picked out? This song is a classic. It is Which Side Are You On? Um, It was written by Florence Reese, the wife of Sam Reese, who was a union organizer for coal miners in Harlan County, Kentucky. And this version is sung by Pete Seeger. You're listening to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back. Which side are you on? 
Oh, workers, can you stand it? Oh, tell me how you can. Will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Don't scab for the bosses. Don't listen to their lies. Us poor folks haven't got a chance unless we organize. Which side are you on? 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 Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Up next is our national story by our co-host, Reese, who has uh, been able to join us for the remainder of the show. Uh, Reese, hey, take me. Hello. Sorry about that. All right. So this story uh, is from an April 1st article on CNN.com. Um, trigger warning. It's a little touchy. Um, the title of the article is police say five fetuses found in a dc home where anti-abortion activists is believed to live and the author of the story is mary Kay maloney and richard rose police say they found five fetuses in a home in washington dc on wednesday days after the indictment of several anti-abortion activists including a woman believed to live in a home where the fetuses were discovered on charges of blocking access to a reproductive health clinic in 2020. Officers were called to the home in the Capitol Hill area to investigate a tip regarding potential biohazard material, the Metro Police Department said in a statement. When they entered the home, they discovered five fetuses, police said. D.C. police have not announced any arrests in connection with the fetuses, but said the investigation is ongoing. CNN affiliate WUSA was on the scene and reported that the home was occupied by Lauren Handy, an anti-abortion activist. CNN has not independently verified that Handy was staying in the home. The WSA crew saw police removing evidence in red biohazard bags and coolers. WSA reported that Handy declined to speak to them on camera, but told them she expected the raid to happen sooner or later. She wouldn't tell WSA what was in the coolers that were removed from the home, but said people would freak out when they heard. Police said the fetuses were collected by the DC medical examiner. Separately, Handy and eight other anti-abortion activists were indicted last week by a federal grand jury for allegedly blocking access in 2020 to a DC clinic that provides abortion services. Handy and the other defendants conspired with each other to obstruct the clinic on October 22, 2020, and to threaten or intimidate patients and employees of the clinic, according to the indictment. The defendants traveled to D.C. from other states and used deception and force to gain access to the clinic, according to the indictment. The conspirators brought tools to barricade themselves inside the clinic, during, including ropes and chains. 
Days before the incident, prosecutors allege Handy called the clinic and falsely represented herself as a female named Hazel Jenkins, who needed reproductive health services and made an appointment for 9 a.m. on October 22nd. One member of the group, Jonathan Darnell, while outside the clinic, created an event on his Facebook account called No One Dies Today, the indictment said. When the clinic opened, the defendants forcefully pushed through the clinic door into the clinic's waiting room, according to the indictment. The forceful entry allegedly caused a nurse to stumble and sprain her ankle. Once inside the clinic, the defendants began blockading clinic doors and treatment areas. When the patient arrived, the conspirators blocked her from entering the clinic's treatment area. The indictment said Handy stood in the doorway of the clinic's main entrance and blocked individuals trying to enter the waiting room. Prosecutors say Darnell began live streaming on Facebook saying, we have people intervening physically with their bodies to prevent women from entering the clinic to murder their children. The defendants were each charged with one count of conspiracy against rights on the one count of violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. If convicted of the offenses, the defendants each will face a maximum of 11 years in prison, three years of supervised release, and a fine up to $350,000, the Justice Department said in a loose release on Wednesday. The anti-abortion group Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, they use an acronym PAAU, I guess that's Powell, lists Handy as a member of its leadership team on its website. Powell tweeted on Wednesday, this morning, Powell Director of Activism, Lauren Handy, was arrested and is currently being detained by the FBI in connection with the rescue of two from two years ago in Washington, D.C. The group tweeted again on Thursday, we will address the claims surrounding the five deceased children found in Laura Handy's apartment at the press conference in D.C. CNN has reached out to the attorneys for Handy and Darnell. There are no attorneys listed for the six other people to be indicted. So that is the end of this chilling, I, I just got a chill um, story that's bizarre. Um, at the very least, have either one of you heard anything about this? I haven't. Oh yeah, I heard about it. My jaw was on the floor. Mm-hmm. Like what in the? Because we still don't know what they were even doing with them, right? Exactly, and the story didn't really tell us like where exactly they came from. I guess mm-hmm. this, you know, it's more to come out. Yeah, but man. And it's rooted back to 2020, so which is creepy. very interesting. Like, all this mm. shit was happening during the pandemic? Like, what the fuck? And then after the story we did, what, last week? About all the changes and the abortion mm-hmm. laws down south. Um, this, this is D.C. Mm-hmm. right here. So this is, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was like two weeks. Um, this is just yeah. bizarre. Yeah. That's, that's super... Yeah, creepy and gross, and and they don't they don't have a lot of information yet on like the why, do they, Reese? Like where no, they came from, any saying, of that? No, why? No, it didn't yeah. give us you know any background. And the way she kind of joked about it, like, oh, they would freak out when they see what's in the bags. It's like uh, this woman is Whoa. sick. Is that the best way to say it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I've never heard of anything like That's this. Wild. I mean, this is this is what happens, though. This is what happens when you start to interfere with people's ability to get the services mm-hmm. they need, and you empower others to put them in a position to deal with this shit. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's yeah. happening here. These people felt really empowered to do what they did, and 
look how it turned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the the rise of just extremist actions and thoughts. It's 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 very scary. Like even you know, listening to you describe the lengths that they went through to try to block the clinic. Like I can't imagine being someone that you know you're going to get an abortion or get whatever other type of care you're getting at the clinic and you have Mm -hmm. to face that like how many people don't get the help that they need because they're intimidated yeah it's totally traumatic they they do feel yeah like they do feel more and more emboldened like you said and like I don't know what's going on with this person if she might have something else going on like Mm -hmm. that's not an excuse for doing this it's like there's still like an ideology that like the thinking or like those beliefs come from somewhere so like people that are putting out that rhetoric like you're going to have people that might not be in you know the best state of mind that are like vulnerable to latching on to it and then acting out in this way because that doesn't five fetuses in your house what Mm -hmm. what 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 is that like mm-hmm. how is is it only five like were there more do other people in this group have some mm. just sitting around like ooh. and where did they come from yeah like do they have like a link with someone who's like works at the clinic that's kind of on their side or something like what is i mean the story just was released yesterday but the the organization is called uh powell progressive anti-abortion uprising and they do oh, have a website so using the word progressive in that context exactly right yeah oh god wow Ugh. wow it's disgusting yeah. there was like a, gaslighting have y'all, have y'all ever seen uh there was this documentary called hail satan that came out a few years ago Mm-mm. about it the it's called hail satan no and it's a documentary about let me get let me get the name right because mm-hmm. there's more than one like church temple of Satan or something. They're not all yeah. the same. Um, but they it was an interesting movie because they go through like the history of like moral panics like in this country, well, from like the eighties up till now. Like there would be all these um groups on the religious right. Oh, it's about the satanic temple, including Mm -hmm. its origins and grassroots political activism. And they talk about stuff like how, like, those kids who were, um, because they were into, like, metal, Dungeons and Dragons, like, people were trying to paint them as, like, being abusive or, like, they did things to children. Mm -hmm. And then they compare that, like, it wasn't true, but then Mm -hmm. all these stories started coming out about like pre the priest child abuse scandal mm-hmm. or like children being molested and abused within a lot of these like far right Christian organizations. And the people in the um, documentary were like, they were creating this panic around things and the real, they, those things were really happening, but it was the same, those same people were the ones doing it, mm-hmm. but they were trying to project onto this other group all these evil things and I it it makes me think of stuff like this it's like these people will talk so nastily and strongly about people who are pro-choice being depraved or Mm -hmm. wanting to hurt children and what are they doing hoarding Mm -hmm. fetuses in your home like bullying people and and got a website like they're corralling people 
at the very end of the day. That's what sticks out to me a little bit about this story. Like, you know, this woman was the leader of this group. Yeah. Home that they found. And then there's six other people involved in this case. So what the hell? Like, what are they doing? You know, this group is obviously galvanizing people to do, I mean, torture is the word that just came to my mind. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows how those fetuses got there? But I mean, wow. Like, what kind of sick shit do you have to be on? And where did they come from? I just, I can't help but to wonder that. Because the the women who had these babies, like, there's so much more to this story. Um, and I guess I'm just going to have to watch as it unfolds. But it's it almost feels like a cookie crumb trail to some bigger problem. Mm. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Because mm. this seems like it's the tip of the iceberg. Because mm-hmm. Lord knows what else these people were involved in Mm-mm. doing. How many others there are like this. And I want to know what was the plan? Like, were they yeah. going to, like... Oh, yeah. shock, like put them in people's face what were they gonna do right oh that's a good point jasmine or like yeah. use oh it for God. like pictures or something i know Probably. that people will yeah like the, you'll see they, them with the signs with images shit. or something yeah. to try to shock people maybe that's what they were gonna do but that's you know just hypocrites you're that's not progressive theory. bullying people no, no. and tor- like tormenting them like people who have yeah. to make a really tough choice for their personal health and mental well-being and you're there like traumatizing them exactly right right it's so so sad yeah yeah this is a tough one guys you're gonna have to definitely um be on the lookout for how this story unfolds um but yeah you know these laws that are empowering people to do crazy shit is working just so you know so Mm -hmm. just be mindful and vigilant and you know, protect one another because there are people literally out here trying to harm us mm-hmm. uh, for the decisions that we make, that we have to make. So we're going to go ahead and hop into our next music break. Is that okay, ladies? Hell yeah. I think- no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need a fucking breather. Okay. Yeah. National news forever. forever. <laughs> Let's go ahead and shift the tide. This song is called Black Rainbows, and it's by Gene Karn, Adrian Young, and Ali Shahid. We'll be right back. Black 
you can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule. And I just want to correct the artist for that last song, <laughs> Black Rainbows. It's Jean Karn, Adrian Young, and Ali Shahid Muhammad are the artists on that track. All right. Next up, we have Emily with our world news story. Take it away. All right. This story comes from an April 1st, 2022 New York Times article by Elisabetta Provoledo and Ian Austin titled, I Feel Shame, Pope Apologizes to Indigenous People of Canada. Pope Francis also promised to visit Canada as part of a process of healing and reconciliation over the church's involvement in an abusive system of residential schools. Uh, The article explains, quote, Pope Francis apologized on Friday for the Roman Catholic Church, Church's involvement in a system of Canadian boarding schools that abused Indigenous children for 100 years and said he would travel to Canada as part of a process of healing and reconciliation. His apology comes after Canada was jolted last year by the discovery of evidence that more than 1,000 people, most of them children, were buried in unmarked graves on the grounds of some of the former schools. I feel shame. Sorrow and shame for the role that Catholics played in the abuses you suffered and in the lack of respect shown for your identity, your culture, and even your spiritual values, Francis said. Pope Francis apologized on Friday for the Roman Catholic Church's involvement in a system. uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm repeating that. Jasmine, you can cut that out. That was repetitious. Quote, from the 1880s to the 1990s, the Canadian government ran a system of compulsory boarding schools that a National Truth and Reconciliation Commission called a form of cultural genocide. The Catholic Church operated about 70% of the schools in the system. About 150,000 Indigenous children were separated from their families and sent to these residential schools, where abuse, both physical and sexual, was widespread, along with neglect and disease. Murray Sinclair, the former judge who headed the commission, estimates that at least 6,000 children went missing. Whether the Vatican knew about the extent of abuses at the schools while they were there, while they were open is unclear. The Catholic orders that operated them have been slow to open their records to the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation, a Canadian archive and research body. In a statement, Stephanie Scott, the center's executive director, said that she expected it to receive full access to the records of the missionary uh, oblates of Mary Immaculate, an order that ran most of the Catholic schools next month. These documents are now largely in Rome. We will then be able to uncover more of what the church knew and understood during the operation of the residential schools, she said. Uh, Quote, the Canadian government and the Protestant churches that ran just under a third of the schools long ago apologized and fulfilled their obligation to to pay reparations under a 2006 class action settlement. About 4.7 billion Canadian dollars, most of it from the government, has been paid to survivors and spent on projects, including the commission. But the Catholic Church, through the Canadian Bishops Conference, failed to pay most of its share of the reparations including $25 million Canadian dollars in cash compensation. 
In September, the Canadian Bishops' Conference apologized for the church's role in the residential school system and pledged a new effort to raise $30 million for reparations. Given the church's decades of refusal to apologize and failure to honor its financial commitments, some Indigenous people, particularly those who are not practicing Catholics, see little value in a papal apology. But for others, uh, Friday's audience, which began with prayers in the languages of various Indigenous groups, ended uh, an emotionally gratifying and at times painful week-long encounter at the Vatican. Quote, in private sessions earlier this week with Métis, Inuit and First Nations delegates, Francis heard story after painful story of the abuse suffered at the hands of Catholic educators at the schools. Delegates, including survivors, leaders, elders, youth, and spiritual advisors from various nations, said that the Pope had listened attentively and had expressed his sorrow. The delegates said this week that they believed the Pope's commitment to healing open wounds was sincere. Quote, in addition to asking Francis to come to Canada to apologize to survivors and their families, the delegates asked Francis to repatriate artifacts in the collections of Vatican museums and open the Vatican archives so that researchers could comb through records and documents regarding the residential school system. Uh, the delegates also asked Francis to revoke a 1493 papal bull issued by Pope Alexander VI that had given Spain authority over the newly discovered lands of the Americas, allowing the Spanish to colonize and enslave the indigenous peoples and convert them to Catholicism. Uh, the papal bull, which informed the doctrine of discovery, was used for centuries to expropriate indigenous lands and facilitate their transfer to colonizing or dominating nations, according to the United Nations. Um, I just want to take a moment. Like I was laughing a little bit, but it's not because this is funny. It's just, this isn't, it's insane. It's insane that like that is exists that like, you know, we're talking about like religious stuff a little bit in the last segment as well. And we can talk about this. I'm almost done with the story. It's just like, like insane. Um, the terrible, um, quote, indigenous groups in Canada say that while the theories of racial superiority that underlie the doctrine have long been discredited, it continued to surface in legal disputes over land until 2014. The Supreme Court of Canada ruled that year that without naming the papal bull that the idea that no one owned land until it was claimed by Europeans never applied in Canada. Quote, the church softened its stance on apologizing last year after three indigenous groups announced that ground-penetrating radar had discovered signs of many hundreds of unmarked graves containing human remains, most of those, mostly those of children. And that is my story. Um, we have talked about the um, this horrible, you know, the, the the discovery of those bodies last year on the show. We've talked about these schools on the show before. Um, uh, yeah. How do you guys feel about Pope Francis? <laughs> ta- like finally, I don't know, taking some responsibility on behalf of the Catholic Church. I mean. I, I, I don't really feel like he's taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think he's making a statement. Taking responsibility would be actively trying to help indigenous populations mm-hmm. get out of the poverty that they have forever lived in because of the shit that was done to them is still being done to them. So mm-hmm. to me, this is, you know, a, a dumb bandaid that mm-hmm. people like to put there when there are real things that can be done and not just reparations, but actually fueling the Native American people 
through their schools, through their service, empowering their businesses. There are so many ways to right the wrongs of history that a fucking apology is not on the list. That's how I feel. I mean, I guess it's okay that, you know, somebody's saying something and Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, we should acknowledge the fact that these things are happening. But every time something like this happens where, you know, somebody apologizes to Native Americans or Mm -hmm. Black people or people who have been uh, just tormented through time because Mm -hmm. of dumb shit like racial politics, to me, it just doesn't it doesn't resonate at all. It's almost like a slap in the face sometimes because it's like, so now what? So now what? You know, those millions of children's bodies that are buried there, what are you going to do? Are you going to make that sacred land now? Is that going to turn into some fucking national park? Like, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just Mm -hmm. disgruntled this morning, but that's how I feel. No, I mean, I I think... I'm not going to use the word happy or glad, but I do think that it's good that these things are coming to light because there's so much that happens like with erasure and people not knowing that these things have happened, that they're still happening to some extent. So if there's anything positive that comes out of him making a statement, I think it it would be that because so many people in the US and I'm sure to some extent in Canada are just ignorant to the extent of, you know, this genocide that was happening, like trying to wipe out, you know, so many different groups of people um, in order to take their land, you know, and like that papal bull from 14 whatever, you know, that was their mindset and it continues to be the mindset of lots of people. You know, this idea that the only people that matter are, you know, white Christians and in some people's minds, like certain specific groups of white Christians are the only people that truly count and everybody else is supposed to just be subjugated to them. Like, Mm -hmm. it's an ugly, ugly, ugly history and it's still with us today. So I hope this people take this as an opportunity to educate themselves about that because Mm -hmm. it's, it's important for you to know. And, you know, I agree with Reese, you need to put some action behind it. Like, are they going to try to revive these languages that have been almost eliminated because of their policies? Are they bringing back families that were separated? Like, what's the actions that's going to go behind these words? Yeah, exactly. And I do agree that it's good for people to be educated about the past. You're definitely right. There's so many people that have never taken the time to do so. But again like you know actions speak louder than words but um so sorry for the it's just it's just a terrible thing like I've seen some videos where people who are survivors of some of these residential schools talk about what it what it is like Mm. and or what it was like and I'll put up um, some links to it on our show pages so that our listeners can hear it too but you know, that history is still with us. And like some of the victims are still here, like these things reverberate over generations. Mm -hmm. So it's just really, really heartbreaking. And I hope that they're able to get some peace and resolution. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that story, Emily. Now, give us the good news. All righty. 
so I found this story via, I've talked about, it's the future earth Instagram account that I, I like to follow. It talks a lot about, um, climate change and, and often in a, like a motivational sort of way, um, while also being realistic about, you know, how bad it is. Um, and they have a, every Tuesday they have a good news roundup, um, which is where I saw this story. It's from a March 23rd article in fast company titled, uh, this company is capturing methane, then using it to make forks and straws. Carbon dioxide gets a lot of attention, but we also need to talk about methane. The article explains, quote, as far as greenhouse gases go, carbon dioxide gets a lot of attention, and rightly so. It sticks around in the atmosphere for up to 1,000 years, but another gaseous culprit, methane, while comparatively short-lived, is 25 times more proficient than CO2 at trapping heat. The EPA recommends that achieving significant reductions would have a rapid and significant effect on atmospheric warming potential. Fast Company explored the concept of methane removal and spoke to one co- to quote quote to one company doing it, New Light Technologies. Co-founder and CEO Mark Harema uh, walks Fast Company through uh, how New Light is not only removing methane from the atmosphere but simultaneously generating uh, an everyday product called air carbon with the potential to reduce plastic use. It all started with dot, 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 cow burps. Of course, that's one of the greatest emitters of methane into the atmosphere, and contrary to popular belief, they are more culpable for toxic emissions than dung. Uh, Reading about bovine belches spurred Harema to think about a market-driven way to drive down greenhouse gases. With some quick napkin math, it turned out that each cow was burping about $20 worth of value into the air every year, he tells us on the show. If you have a 1,000 cow farm, that's $20,000 of value into the air. Well, that's a lot of money. After a decade of toying with its technology, New Light landed on success. New Light sources methane mostly from landfills, coal mines, and agricultural digesters, which catch methane from cow feces. Methane from cow feces. A uh, quote, Harama explains the process in depth, but in a nutshell, oh, sorry. So I think there's also, um, as part of the story, there's like a video component that Fast Company um, developed or a podcast potentially. So if you want to check that out, that is something you can listen to. And that's probably why, um, yeah, it's a podcast called World Changing Ideas. But anyway, um, In a nutshell, quote, the company pumps methane through a bioreactor filled with microorganisms that feed on the gas. They're growing, he says. They're having a party. They're also starting to build up this air carbon muscle inside their cells. That muscle is a molecule that New Light can extract, purify into a powder, and then melt into pellets. Once we've got the pellets, that's basically the currency of the old plastics industry, Harima said, says. They form the basis for a nature-based polymer that can replace oil-based plastics used in so many of our products. Because it's made in every ecosystem on Earth, it's an environmentally degradable material, similar to a banana peel or a a tree leaf, he says. Air carbon products are available in fashion items like sunglasses and wallets, along with kitchenware, like drinking straws and cutlery. The latter is now sold at Target and is being piloted at Shake Shack. As if you needed another reason to go to Shake Shack. Haha, fast company. Funny, funny. Anyway, that's the good news story. I thought it was kind of an interesting science-y um, solutions-based uh, way of approaching some of our current climate issues. Wow. Yeah. Um, that was a lot. Very science-y. So these cows is out here burping shit into the atmosphere. Yeah. 
Wow. The, the cows are just, they're just living their life. I know. Let's not, let's not flatch, let's not shame. I'm not shaming We're over. shaming. <laughs> Move over, butter. I am not shaming them. I just think it's uh-huh. really, Y'all remember that commercial? Move over, butter. Move over, butter? Yeah, it was that, <laughs> I can't believe it's not butter or something. Yeah. One of those. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that. it's like the way, um, like cattle farming, like and ranching, mm-hmm. is really, really harmful. Like there's so yeah. much that gets chopped down to make room for them to graze, and mm-hmm. then they're yeah. all burping and farting and <laughs> in unison, like all together, <laughs> like musically, like Ooh. like. <laughs> those videos of cows like people will be playing music like playing smooth jazz and then the cows will just slowly walk <laughs> no. over yeah it's so cute uh, yeah i, I love cows, cows are, i think Actually, cows are adorable they're like so our, adorable I like organic cows <laughs> i was walking i was driving with a friend through virginia once and there was a guy on the side of the highway with one of those like edge weed cutters like he was like trimming the side of the highway and there were literally 20 cows just all up against the other side of the fence, just like watching him. Like they had all, they were so fascinated with the work he was doing. It was really cool. Yeah, it's cool. There was one, this is a little bit off topic, but since you mentioned cows and we're all a little bit like, I guess, out of it today. (laughs) There was this guy on, I think he was on TikTok and he was doing this very intense like interpretive dance on the side of the road like in a cow pasture and the cows were not feeling it it's like everything like they were looking at him like what and then he would do something they would like run away and then stop that's and look amazing. and they keep they keep getting further and further away from him oh my god that's but amazing. It, like, how do you keep a straight face but no, this is, this is great because like plastic is horrible. Mm-hmm. So this is a way to make products that normally would be made out of like plastic from mm-hmm. like petroleum, but yep. it's using this instead. Yep. Yep. Correct. So it's like it's 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 a dual ended solution based on this article. And like, you know, we've talked about on the show, like there's probably some downsides in there somewhere, but um, from it, it's pulls out something we don't want from the air and creates a product that we need or that we, you know, there's a need for or that can replace a more harmful version of it. So it's cool. That's yeah, always that's, a good thing. I hope that works. Like yeah. I hope that it's able to be expanded because yeah. we need more dual sided yep. solutions yeah. as you Multi, mentioned. Yeah, prong solutions, all that stuff. There's a lot yeah. out there. So Yeah. Well that's awesome. I can close this out and you could do the song. Does that make yeah. sense? Yep. I got that. All, yeah. right. All right. So that's thank that's it for this week's subjection to the rule. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on the Radio Free Brooklyn app on radiofreebrooklyn.org or on Spotify. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. Emily, what's the last song, girl? Yeah, so um I picked this song because of the wor- the international world news story I did. So uh, Link Ray was a uh, indigenous musician, um, and he, a song I love by him is called "God Out West." Um, so this is "God Out West" by Link Ray. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Happy birthday, Grandma! Again, yeah. I love you. The morning sunlight through a fog of haze.
Radio Free Brooklyn is proud to present four amazing bands at an outstanding local venue for an evening of rock and music. Join us on Friday, May 20th at 7.30 p.m. for a night with 7th grade girl fight, dirt bikes, barrette, and castle black at none other than Ridgewood's own Bar Frida, 801 Seneca Avenue. Tickets are $10 and can be purchased at the venue. If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter.